Good morning. It has been about a week of Pastor Castilla being on sabbatical, and Jillian and I are here, dressed and alive. So we have survived without Pastor Christia for a week at this point. Uh, God has been good, and, and Christia has been checking in with us, and she is uh, really enjoying her time with the Lord and, and is very grateful to, to have this time. And I'm excited to be with you this morning as we continue our series looking at the life of this 9th century B.C. prophet named Elisha, a guy whose life is characterized by what we call ridiculous faith. Because this guy trusts in God and he walks so closely with God that God shows up over and over and over again in miraculous ways more than anybody else in the Bible other than Jesus. And so it behooves us to ask the question, why does God keep showing up? What is it that characterizes this guy's life of faith that maybe I could do? Because my desire is to see God show up in my life, in the lives of the people around me. So how can I have faith like Elisha? We've talked about some of these characteristics of his faith in his life, that he had ridiculous obedience when God called. He said, yes, burned the plows, killed the cows, said, I'm not going back to my old way of life. When God calls, I am going to follow him. He stayed committed to God's calling. Even when there was off-roads he could have taken, he said, this is what God has for me. I will follow him. He loves and shows compassion to those who maybe don't even deserve it. He trusts God, and he sees God's miraculous provision show up in somebody else's life that we looked at last week. This week we're going to see how Elisha's story teaches us to have ridiculous determination. And if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to get out your Bible. It might be a paper one or a digital one. If you forgot your Bible, feel free to grab one of the ones in the chair in front of you. But I'd invite you to lift up your Bible nice and high this morning and just say, I got my Bible, PJ. I'm so grateful that you do. I'd invite you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. We're going to get there in just a moment. 2 Kings 4, 8. Now, without elbowing the person next to you, because that's just not going to be good, who do you think of when you think of somebody who is stubborn in your life? Again, don't elbow the person next to you. That's just going to cause a distraction. But I think all of us have known somebody who's just kind of stubborn. They, they stick with it. And even when you tell them something that's kind of contrary to what they're thinking, it's like they keep pushing forward with the thought they have. For me, one of the people that I think of or the types of people is, is a salesperson or particularly a, a car salesperson. Christia hates going car shopping. Now, I love cars, so I enjoy kind of the experience of just sitting in and test driving new cars, but Christia hates the stubbornness of the salesperson because it doesn't seem to matter what you say to them. You come back to them and, oh no, that's like 10 grand over my budget. Oh, but did you know it has power windows? So do 95% of the other cars on the lot, right? And they're just continuing to push forward and push you. And you feel like, ugh, I just don't want to go this way. Some people in our lives are very stubborn. On the positive end of the spectrum, if we would look at it as a spectrum, we would say on the, the, the negative side, we would call somebody like this stubborn. On the positive side, we would say they're persistent or they're determined. 
Somebody who's just not going to give up. They're not going to take no for an answer. They're going to keep on pushing through. And persistence or determination can actually be a marker of faith, as we'll see in our story this morning. Now, do I have somebody back in the sound booth on the, the computer? Back there. All right. Can I have you hit space bar? We're going we're gonna to read our, our story this morning, but I actually want to read it straight out of uh, our passage and have somebody else kind of help me with the PowerPoint. So when we get to the end of them, I'll have you kind of click on that for me. But this is a long passage, right? It, when you go to preacher school, they say, don't read this long of a passage because people will kind of lose you. So if you lose me, I'm sorry, but this is God's word. I'm glad that you have God's word, and I believe that God has more to say to you than I have to say to you. So um, they tell me in preacher school not to read passages this long, but I'm doing it anyways. Um, so we're at 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8, and we're going to read this somewhat lengthy story this morning. And again, if you guys can click when I get to the bottom of those slides, that'd be great. It says, One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man of God often comes our way, and he's a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. He can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and he lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said, Tell her, you've gone to all this trouble for us. What can we do for you? What can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my people. Well, what can be done for her, Elisha asked. Hazi said, well, she has no son. Her husband is old. Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will have a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, oh, my head. His father told the servant, carry him to his mother. And after the servant had lifted him and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon. Then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Well, I go to him today, he said. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Lead on. Don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. He saw her in the distance. The man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look! There's the Shunammite. Run and meet her and ask her if she's all right and her husband's all right and your child's all right. Everything is all right, she said. But when she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress. But the Lord has hidden from it from me and hasn't told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said? Didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. And if anyone greets you, don't answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. 
So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy hasn't awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in and he shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, and hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room. Then he got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. And he did. When she came, he said, Take your son. She came in and fell at his feet and bowed to the ground and took her son and went out. Throughout this story, the Shunammite woman is kind of stubborn. Or we could say she's ridiculously determined. And I want to talk for a moment, just kind of break the passage apart a little bit and look at how it is that her faith is displayed and her determination and maybe how we can have the kind of faith that displays itself in determination as well. First of all, she displays her determination in her hospitality. She knows that she is a, she's a wealthy woman. She has some means. We're told she's well-to-do. And this man of God continues to come by the countryside and continues to, to meet there regularly. And so when he comes by, she starts off by saying, well, I want to have a meal with him. I want to invite him into my life, and I want to share a meal. And as this continues on, as he continues to pass by, she says to her husband, we have space and we have means. Let's create a room in our house so that when the man of God comes by, we can bring him into our home and he can stay with us and he can eat and he can be provided for. She creates in her life space for Elisha and by extension, space for God. She's saying in her hospitality moment, I want to do something so that when the presence of God that is upon this man Elisha comes into my town, I am welcoming God's presence into my life. I want to be able to create this room and share this meal so that I can know that God is with me. And the application of this is that you should take your pastor out for lunch and build a room in your house for him, right? Just kidding. But really, the question is, are you creating space in your life for God's presence? Is your life ordered in such a way that you look at what you have and, and you're drawing near to the presence of God and you're saying, I need to create in my life space hospitality for God, so that God doesn't just pass me by in the busyness of my life as I run here, there, and everywhere and say, God, I'm too busy. The woman could have said, I've got a million things going on. She's probably well-to-do because her and her husband are hard at work and they're good business people. I've got a million things to do. I don't have time for the man of God, for the prophet when he comes. But no, she builds space in her life, literally. And for us, are we constantly busy when it comes to God, running about all of the things that we have to do? Or are we determined to say, I want the presence of God in my life. I'm determined to get more of God. I don't want to just go about my business. I don't want God to just go about his business and pass me by and look at me and say, they have no room for Jesus in their life. I want to build space. It says, God, when you're passing by my life, when you look at me, when you consider me, I want you to stop. 
I want you to stay. I want you to just be with me for a while so that I can be in your presence. There are things in our life that we need to do or can do. And maybe you're already doing all of these, or maybe you're doing some of these, but just want to give you a list of like five things that are just practical things that you can say, if I don't have space in my life for God, here's some thoughts, here's some ideas of some things that maybe I could do to begin to just build some space, to build a room in my life where I say, God, I want you to come and stay with me for a while. Number one is one you hear about all the time from pastors, right? It's, it's reading God's Word. Spend time regularly where you are allowing what God's word has already written to come into your mind and enter into your heart. And even if reading is difficult for you, I got to be honest, I don't always love to read. But we live in a day and age, you can pull out a phone and you can have the word of God read to you. And you can have somebody read you a passage of scripture so that on a regular basis, probably say daily is best, spending time just saying, God, I just want you to be able to speak to me. I want to know the stories of the people of faith who've come before me, and I want to spend time with you. You can carve out time in your life where you listen to the truth. We are a media-driven culture. We listen to so much music when we're in the car or watch TV when we're at home. We have like five subscription services of movies and television shows. But do we ever spend time or create time to listen to God's truth? Whether that's podcasts or YouTube sermons or devotionals or things that are drawing us nearer intentionally to the presence of God. Where we turn the radio dial to say, God, I want to create space in my drive for you to meet with me. Do I pray throughout the day? Do I carve out time in my day to say, God, I simply want to have moments where I can talk and we can share together. You pause. In your life. Some of us, the hardest room to create is the pause room. We just stop and say, God, in the middle of all of the busyness and all of the tasks, I'm just stopping. I have no agenda. I'm not listening to anything. I'm not reading anything. I'm not doing anything. I'm not expecting anything. I'm just stopping. Sunday is supposed to be that day. <laughs> That's what Sabbath means literally is stop. It means stop doing everything you're doing. This is why your pastors are taking time this summer to stop and be with the Lord. Do you create room by investing in relationships with people who draw you closer to the Lord? We've encouraged you throughout the year to, to have one person that you're praying for, that you're trying to share your life and share the gospel with, but you also need to be intentional about the people that God has blessed you with who know and love Jesus and creating space in your life to be with the people who draw your attention, who draw your heart. When they listen to your story, when they listen to the day, they're constantly thinking, here's where Jesus intersects your story. The Shunammite woman was determined to have God in her life. She was determined to have the presence of God be near to her, so much so that when he would pass by, she created literally a room. Are we creating rooms in our life, spaces where God's presence can dwell in our lives? Her determination was also displayed in her humility. When Elisha comes and Elisha stays and she's created this room, one of the times that he passes by, he's sitting up there on his nice comfy bed and he's thinking to himself, this is nice. This lady has taken good care of me. 
We've got to do something for her, Gehazi. What can we do for her? And so he goes out and he says, can I talk to the king for you? Can, can I speak to the commander of the army? He says, I have a home among my people. I have what I need. I have what I want. I'm taken care of. I'm not doing this for you, Elisha, so that you can pay me back. I'm not looking for something from you. This is my desire to have the presence of God drawing closer into my life. I don't have expectations of how it's going to benefit me. There's a story of a wealthy man who was riding in the back of a limousine one afternoon through the countryside. As he rode along, he saw two pathetic-looking men out by the side of the road eating grass. So he ordered the driver to stop, and he got out to investigate. He said to them, why are you guys out here eating grass? We don't have any money for food, the first man replied. Well, the wealthy man said, then you must come to my house. But sir, I've, I've got a wife, and I've got three kids, said the first man. Well, bring them along, the wealthy man replied. The second man said, I've got a wife and six kids. Well, you can bring them along as well, the wealthy man said. They all headed back into his limo and climbed in the car. As they were on their way back to his home, one of the men said, Sir, you are too kind. Thank you so much for taking us all with you. The wealthy man replied, I'm most happy to do it. You're going to love my place. The grass is almost a foot and a half tall. <laughs> do we love God selflessly? Do we love others selflessly? Or do we do the things that we do because of what we can get back for it? What is the motivation of why we do what we do? We want to be blessed in return. We're, we're thinking, man, if I spend this time, I'm going to really get God on the hook. God, if you only do this, then I get this. Or God, I've already done this, so can you do this for me? Or we serve others expecting, hey, I scratched your back now I need a list of favors from you. <laughs> the Shunammite woman was determined just to be humble. Say, this is what God would have me to do. I need God in my life. And I'm not expecting for God to do anything for me. There's no favors. I don't want the king to, to promote me and give me some blessing. I'm not looking for the army to protect me in some certain way. I'm not even looking for the child. I'm not looking for anything simply want God's presence in my life. The Shunammite woman, she displays her determination in her hospitality, her humility, and then in her sense of hurry. Gehazi and, and, and Elisha, they're in the upper room and they're talking about what they're going to do for this widow. And Gehazi knows, even though the Shunammite woman has not said anything about it, he sees the situation. She's married, she's probably much younger, and she's married to an older man. And he's not going to last a whole lot longer, maybe 20 years or so, but Gehazi can see the future and he knows that when this woman's husband passes, there is nobody to take care of her. They haven't had a son. They've been married long enough that they would have had time at this point. And Gehazi and Elisha, they've stopped here time and again. And so Gehazi says to Elisha, this Shunammite woman, she she has an old husband and she has no son. And in that culture, there would have been nothing that she would have desired more than to give birth to a son. 
And so Elisha calls for her, and he recognizes this. And she is now in the midst of, of the deepest wounding of her life, the greatest longing she has ever had, what would make her identity in that culture and that time period to be the mother of a son. And she can't barely deal with it. Elisha says, God is going to give you a son. And she says, no, no, don't deceive me. I've, I've wanted that for so long. I've prayed for that for so long. I've cried out to God for that for so long, and it hasn't happened. Don't deceive me. My heart can't handle that situation. I've just closed that door of my heart. And Elisha says, God's goodness wants to do this for you. So a year later, she has a son. And that boy begins to grow up. And we don't know exactly how much time passes, but it seems like probably 10, 15 years is going by during this time. And Elisha's continuing to visit this family and stop for time to time. And one, one day, the boy and his father, they're out in the fields and they're working. Father is probably apprenticing his son and training him what to do. And the boy comes up to dad and he's, oh, dad, my head is just killing me. My, my head is hurting. Dad is dad, right? He does what most dads do. I'm busy. We're at work right now. You're fine. Go talk to your mom about this. And he stays out in the field and the boy goes back to mom. And mom has compassion on this young man, and she begins to sit with him and realize something is wrong. Something is seriously wrong. And as they sit there, the morning goes by, and by the time noon hits, the boy is dead, and the mother is devastated. This Shunammite woman has no idea what to do. She runs the boy to the room that they've built for Elisha. She lays him on the couch. This is where the presence of God often stays. I'm bringing the boy here. And she goes out to her husband, and, and the way that the passage reads, it seems like it's all the same day, and he has no idea what's really transpired in the house. She says, I've got to get to the man of God. I've got to go now. Get a servant ready. Get, get the animals ready. I am taking off now. And he's confused. He's been working in the field, and he's like, why do you got to get to Elisha? It's, it's not a holiday. It's not a, it's not a Sabbath celebration. Why do you so desperately need Elisha? And she doesn't even answer. She is pursuing what she knows as where she can find the presence of God. I have got to get to Elisha because Elisha represents for me God's presence. And I know that the thing that I need in this moment is more of him. And so in the middle of her crazy busy life, in the middle of her stress, she hurries to God. Nowhere else but the Lord. Where do we hurry when things are going wrong? What do we chase after? So often in our life, we, we run to things other than God in times of stress or times of trouble. When things are difficult and our world comes crashing down around us, we run to everything we've been told to or everything we think is going to just mask the pain. Lisa Turkhurst a, uh, writes in a devotional called Made to Crave about how we are designed as human beings to have cravings and longings. She says we are dependent people, but we're dependent on the only one powerful enough to help us. He is the only one sufficient enough to cover us in grace throughout the process. Our relationships may not be sufficient, 
Our circumstances may not be sufficient. Our finances may not be sufficient. Our willpower may not be sufficient. Our confidence may not be sufficient. But He is. He has been. And He forever will be. Paul says it simply this way in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfect in your weakness. The Shunammite woman realizes in the midst of her pain, she needs God. The same God that she has built room for in her life, that she has chased after, that she has pursued with humility, that has blessed her in her life, she knows in the midst of her sorrow, I need to get to God. He is the one that I need, and she's willing to go. How easy it would be just to carry the boy to the room and cry and stay there and stay in the midst of her brokenness and never pursue God, never call out to him or cry out to him, but just sit in the pain herself. But she goes to chase after God. James in chapter 4, verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask God so easy in our life when we go through situations to, to run to everything other than God or just to sit in our pain and our lament and our sorrow and to feel bad for ourselves and to never move forward. But the Shunammite woman is determined in her faith. She knows in the midst of her pain she's got to go. She's got to move. It cannot wait. It has got to be now. I need to get to where God's presence is, and there is nowhere else I am going. I am going back to the source that brought this blessing into my life in the first place. I'm moving towards God, and I'm bringing my pain to Him. She hurries out of her determination. She also displays her determination and her honesty or her humanity. When she's on her way, Gehazi and Elisha, they're chilling out on Mount Carmel and they, they see her coming a long way off and Elisha says, hey, isn't that the Shunammite woman, that lady whose house we stay at all the time? What is wrong with her? Go find out, Gehazi. Ask her if everything is all right. And Gehazi goes and he asks her and at first she kind of gives the line, right? I'm fine. Everything's fine. Everything is not fine. She gets to Elisha and she grabs a hold of his feet. And she begins to pour her heart out to him, saying, I didn't ask for this. I didn't need anything. I never served you, and I never served God to try to get this blessing. And I think she's almost just yelling at God and yelling at Elisha in this moment. I didn't need this. This is what I was afraid of. I am broken beyond anything I could have possibly ever experienced. I never wanted this opportunity. I am hurt beyond hurt in this moment. She's raw and she is honest and human before Elisha and God. We're all human. We have human emotions. And for so many of us, we hide our emotions. We hide our humanity. We, we, we wear masks so the rest of the world doesn't have to see us. And even when we come before God and we have the opportunity, we try to act like, it's all right. Everything's fine. I'm good. 
But on the inside, we are destroyed and we are broken. See, the truth is, is it's tough for God to meet us where we are if we can't even admit where we are. It is so tough for God to meet you where you are in the midst of your hurt and your brokenness and your pain if you are unwilling to admit to yourself and to God that that is where you are. How is God going to find you if you don't even know where you are? I love PD and Emmeline and the, and the work that they do with our, our group, and I know that uh, they work a little bit with AA as well. AA understands this point, right? They, they have the 12-step program, and, and, and step number one is, is honesty. It's admitting that you have a problem. AA says it this way, we've admitted that we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. Many alcoholics have a hard time admitting that they cannot control their alcohol use. <laughs> the thought is, I can stop whenever I want. I'm still in control. So step one in the AA program is to realize I don't have control. This thing has gripped me and it has a power over me and my life is broken and unmanageable. For some of us, that's our issue. For some of us, it's something else. But the step to recovery and healing in our life always begins there. It begins with realizing I am broken and I am hurting and this is where I am and I don't have the power. I don't have the ability to control what I'm going through. And the Shunammite woman is there as she meets with Elisha. I am broken in this moment. I never asked for a son. I never wanted this and this situation is crushing my soul. Ridiculous faith doesn't come wearing a mask pretending that everything is okay but rather we're honest with where we are and determined to seek God for where he's taking us. I realize that when we come to church, it may not be the best idea to have your list of things and show it to everybody and say, here's the sins I've dealt with this week. Here is where I am a complete failure. But there needs to be people in our life that we allow in, like the Elishas in our life, to say, I know that you know Jesus, I know that you're closer to the Holy Spirit and, I, and I'm aspiring to be like you and I just need to share with somebody I don't have it all together and I need somebody who can pray with me and who can help me and who can walk with me on this journey. That's what the church is and we need one another and we need God. We need to be able to come before the Lord and when the altars are open on a Sunday morning, not to have to care about who is going to watch me, but to say, I just need Jesus. I need more of what God and only God can do because I'm not all right at this moment. Sometimes it's all right to not be all right. But we have to be honest about where we are in order for God to meet us there and begin to help us move forward. The Shunammite woman also displays her determination and hope. In fact, both her and Elisha display their determination and their hope. When she gets to Elisha, she grabs a hold of his feet. And he sends his servant, he sends Gehazi back to the house. And they've both been there a number of times. Gehazi knows where this is. And Elisha says, my staff has been used by God. The power and presence of God has somehow been within this relic that he has given me. So, so I want you, Gehazi, to carry the staff to her home and lay it on the boy. And yet the Shunammite woman says, 
that's not good enough. As surely as God lives and as you live, I am not leaving you. Maybe you remember hearing those words a couple of chapters ago when Elisha said those words over and over again to Elijah. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I'm not leaving you. I want to see what God is going to do and I believe that God is going to move and I'm not leaving the situation. And here the Shunammite woman grabs a hold of Elisha's feet and says, I am not leaving there is something about the presence of God with you. And I believe that God is not done with my story. That he has something he's going to do. I am not leaving until you come with me. Her persistence results in Elisha's persistence. Elisha realizes she ain't given up on this. So I'm going to go with her. God obviously is impressing something in her heart that she is not done pursuing the Lord, so I will go with her. He sends the staff at first, right? The staff comes back and the boy isn't healed. So he gets to the house and he prays and the boy isn't healed yet. So he lays down on top of the boy and he feels warmth from the boy's body, but the boy is not alive. And he could be thinking to himself, what's going on? Is, is God doing something here? Is this, is this just my own body heat that I'm feeling reflected back? He, he gets up and he paces around the room and he prays some more. And he lays down on the boy a second time. And somewhat humorously, the boy sneezes seven times. I'm not sure if there's significance to that, but it makes me smile. At any point, the woman could have given up. Elisha could have given up. But they believed that God was still up to something. They were in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their hurt. And the one thing that this woman knew is that I need God's presence. And God has not revealed to me that this is how my story ends yet. God has not given me the peace and the assurance that he is here in this. God is continuing to impress upon my heart that I need to move forward. That this is a situation that I need to continue to pray through and pursue him through. That God is not done with the story and so I am not done until I have seen what God wants to do. Until his spirit resonates with my spirit and says, you have arrived at what I have for you. All of us this morning are hoping for something. What are you hoping for? Maybe you have a family member who doesn't know the Lord, or maybe you're seeking a personal healing of a physical ailment or restoration of a relationship with a friend or a family member. Maybe just hoping for justice amongst the many evils and, and issues of our world. Don't give up. If God is impressing upon your heart to seek and to pursue Him, don't give up. Just because it looks like you've started and you've, you've prayed and you feel like, I've done the right things. I put the boy in the room and nothing happened. I went to Elisha and nothing happened. He put the staff on the boy and nothing happened. He laid on top of the boy and nothing happened. He walked around the room and prayed and nothing happened. But they didn't give up. I don't know what you're I don't know how many times you've prayed, where you've wandered, who you've talked to, whose ankles you've grabbed a hold of and said, pray with me. I don't know what it is. But if God hasn't told you that the story is over and that you need to begin to move forward in peace, be determined. Continue to pursue God with everything you have. 
continue to say, God, I hope in you. You are the one who is making all things new. You have a plan and a purpose. You are restoring and redeeming all of creation. And so God, if you want me to see it in eternity, I will believe that. But for now, as long as you are allowing God, I'm going to continue to hold on to you and pursue you. Because I have hope that you can and you will. The Shunammite woman was determined in her faith. She did everything she could in her life to draw herself and others closer to God and his presence. May we be more like the Shunammite woman in our faith. May we be hospitable to God and make room for him in our lives. May we be humble and serve God and others selflessly out of love. May we practice hurrying to God instead of to other things or just sitting in our situations angry and upset. May we be authentic in our honest humanity so that God can meet us where we're at. And may we be persistent in our hope in Christ as we continue to pray and trust Him for this day and the days ahead. Let me pray with you this morning. God, I thank you that you allow us to come into relationship with you. You allow us by your grace and your mercy to pursue you. And your presence comes into our lives. Just as the prophet Elisha walked by this woman's house and the presence of God came into her life, we celebrate Jesus whose name also means God is salvation, and how he left where he was and he comes into our lives and into our space. And even as Jesus went back to heaven, the Holy Spirit is sent to our lives. We can welcome you in. And you come in and you eat with us and you live with us. You stay with us. If only we will make the road. God, the truth is we don't deserve that. Because of our sin and our failure and our brokenness and our rebellion, we don't deserve your presence, but you lavish it upon us because you are good, because you love us, and you long for that relationship with us. God, life is filled with hurts and sorrows, temptations and difficulties. Help us to be people of determination people who experience your goodness because we're willing to create that space in that room in our lives that welcomes you in. But when life throws us curveballs and things don't go our way and we find ourselves broken and confused and lost, may we not give up the faith we started with. May we continue to be people of determination. And even when it seems like we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed and, and the answer hasn't come yet, help us to continue to be people of faith who say, I will pursue God no matter what. I will grab a hold of the ankles of Jesus and I will not let go because I believe that the only thing I have ever needed is God's presence in my life. The only thing that will ever be sufficient in my life is Him. No matter what else I could chase after, no matter how much the pain hurts, no matter how busy I am and how difficult it is to create those spaces, I know that the thing that I need is the God in whose image I was created, with whom I was created to have a relationship, and I will pursue Him at all times in all things. Help us, Jesus, to be people of faith 
who are determined and persistent and will not give up without more of you in our lives. Help us to chase and to pursue you every day. Bless your church. God, ask, I ask that you would help your people to see your power in the situations that they're hoping for, they're looking for, they're laying down before you and trusting that you are the only king. May we see you, God, working miracles in our life as we are people of ridiculous faith, determined to see more of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to remind you again to place your tithes and offerings in the baskets as you leave or give online at oakridgewc.com give. If you have blue connect cards, you can place those in the plates as well. We hope that you have a wonderful week. We're so glad that you're here. I would love the chance to meet you if I haven't um, and, and talk a little bit more. Have a great week and go with God. God bless.